This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Racism has a cure, but racial reconciliation as we know it is not the answer. D.A. Horton unpacks how God addresses these issues and where to take it from there in his new book, Intentional. Go to dahorton.com to learn more about Intentional. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian Collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23, follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the president of The Witness, the man, the myth, the legend, the best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Jamar Tisby. What's going on, Jay? Hey, you know me, man. I'm just trying to get like you. Nah, don't even do that. Don't do that black man thing. I'm trying to get where you at one day when you level level. up. You know, trying to get on your level, Doc. You know, I feel like it's such a cultural thing because I just naturally morph into that. There's literally no time when I don't say that. Even when it's not applicable, like someone would be like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You lie and you're like, yo, I'm trying to get like you. Like, I don't even know this guy. You yeah, know? Exactly. <laughs> I don't, I don't, like, I don't, bro. I don't know you. I don't really know if I want to get like you, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's, it sounds good. It sounds good. Yeah. It feels like it's like a cultural, just a cultural thing that we say. Absolutely. And I don't know, but it's blackmail affirmation. So I'm down for that. I'm down for blackmail affirmation. That's so a I word. Appreciate it, bro. Now I just want to remind everybody, we do have... Once again, the digital pass to the Joy and Justice Conference it is still available at joyandjustice.com. Again, like I told you guys last week, we have one of the speakers who started swag surfing in the middle of their presentation. We had some amazing, powerful moments in our workshops. We had excellent content. We had laughs. We had moments of, of tearful reflection, moments of resistance and power. It was fully orbed. And as we talk about all the time, we love to have cognitive and emotive spaces. So we feel like this was a cognitive and an emotive space. We didn't have to leave our faith outside the door, but we also didn't have to leave our blackness at home. So once again, if you want to relive the conference or you want to experience it and you were not able to be there, joyandjustice.com is the website. Go and purchase the digital access or you can buy a la carte as well if you just want to hear you know, John Faison or Kemeny or whoever, any of our amazing speakers. And bro, I'm still buzzing about the conference. Yeah, me too. I, I don't know how long it's been, but uh, I still think about it almost on a daily basis, still thanking God for it and um, longing for more opportunities and more spaces like that. That should be the norm, not the exception. Mm. You know, we should probably do it again, you know? Ah! I think that might be a... <laughs> I don't know. Like, maybe, maybe. I don't know. If you guys want us to do it, you know. You putting stuff in the atmosphere. We ain't even spoken to the team, you know. No, I didn't. I mean, I'm not not making a decision. I'm just saying, you know, we should probably, you know, 2020 (laughs) election. It's a lot to talk about politically. My, my, my. I don't know. Maybe. You guys let us know. Do y'all want us to do the conference again? Some of y'all like, I couldn't make it. Do you want to come? Or you like, I'm conferenced out. That's fine, too. Like, if that's your, your speed, cool. Just let us know, you know. 
let me know some, you know, say less. If you want us <laughs> to do it, maybe that might encourage the people around to say, okay, let's do it. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no comment. It's too fresh. It's too fresh, right? We just got done with it. Yo, so Jamar, last week we talked about some really heavy political homelessness. It was fun. It was exciting. But at the same time, it was really a heavy topic that considers all of Black life and Black perspective on politics, Black Christian perspective on politics, I should say. But I wanted to kind of dial it back before we continue this series. And it just so happened that there was an opportunity that came up to interview someone very important, someone who is a cultural figure, someone who is a Tony Award winner. Of course, I'm talking about Mr. Leslie Odom Jr. from Hamilton fame. This is really cool. We got the opportunity. um, I actually got the opportunity to sit down with him to talk about his upcoming role in the movie Harriet, where he plays William Still. And uh, he's a journalist and abolitionist in American history. And before we get into this interview, This won't be a super long episode, but I wanted to give it a a reflection, and I wanted for you to kind of talk about some of the ways in which history intersects with the importance of a movie on someone like Harriet Tubman. You know, I was thinking earlier, we think about Selma, the movie with Ava DuVernay. That's one of our first major portrayals of Dr. King. Mm -hmm. And then you think about now we have Harriet Tubman. And it's not to say these characters haven't been played before. We think about feature roles that like center around them and really probe deeply into their hearts, into their motivation, into the things that they've been through. Isn't it such a shame? This is just wild to me that these movies are not greenlit and that these movies, regardless of what you think about quality, because obviously art is subjective, so you're free to like or dislike um, the particulars of the movie aesthetically. But when we think about the stories that need to be told, the stories that must be shared, we're better to do it than in the entertainment industry. And it's a shame that we're just now getting these portrayals. It is. It is. I think there was, I I think this is the season. This is the time. I mean, historians and, and the work of history seems so relevant right now. And it always has been, but now it's sort of peeking into popular culture, whether that is um, historians themselves who are doing work in public, right? Writing op-eds, appearing on national news networks to give commentary about current events from a historical perspective or projects like the 1619 Project, which is a deliberate excavation of the past in order to uncover the legacy of racism and slavery today. I think it's a moment. And I think all this stuff that we've been experiencing as far as white supremacy and heightened racial tensions right now really has fed this hunger for history. And so finally, projects like this film are getting the green light. But I agree with you. It should have happened a long time ago. But at le- I'm, I'm grateful that at least now there seems to be more of an audience and more of a desire for it. You know, and we were talking about this before, actually, this idea that Leslie brings out, not in this particular interview, but in another interview, about we often have a scarcity mindset and a mentality when it comes to these films because of the whiplash of so many years of being ostracized or pushed to the side or marginalized, even within entertainment industry, and the the ability to tell our stories. And he talks about it from the standpoint of, man, we should have four or five different portrayals of Harriet. You know, we should have, we shouldn't think that this will be our only time. We shouldn't think that this will be our only ex, you know, explanation or dramatic representation or presentation of this film and of this story. And so as we think about it, you know, I also want to give space and room even as we talk about these things, especially for explicit Black art that shows the range of Black people, even as we critique and Black legends and Black activists, even as we critique it, 
even as we kind of think through it and think about the ways in which um, maybe some of the things aesthetically could be better, or if we loved it, or if we didn't love it, or what have you, I just want to give you know black filmmakers and black storytellers the freedom to fail, yeah, you know, <laughs> to do good. well, to do you know to to be critiqued and to learn from that and space and. I think sometimes we don't give that. And if it's a story about white saviorism, that's one thing. If it's a story about, you know, kind of the the twisting of the narrative to advantage another people when really it should be a, a black-centered narrative, then I'm going to be a little bit more critical. And you've heard me be critical yeah. about that on previous podcasts, right? But I think what's important for us to do is is to celebrate the opportunity to make these films and because a lot of times white films and even white Christian films don't get the same treatment. So they don't get the same level of scrutiny. They don't get the same level of standard and they're kind of passed through. Um, and they, they make a lot of money because they pull on the white evangelical, you know, stream of Christianity. And so I think it's, it's, it's space. Like we have to give ourselves space, narratives, um, space to, to live and to breathe and also be critiqued in a way that, spurs black filmmakers on to get more and more opportunities. Right? Yeah. And I think folks, I mean, probably need to dwell on on part of what you said for just a moment longer. Like the rarity of black people getting entrance into the upper echelons in any industry, let's say Hollywood, for instance, it's still so rare that the scrutiny on them is magnified way beyond what it would be for a white person. And under that scrutiny, yeah. The, That's not everything, yeah, right? A, like twice absolutely. As good. <laughs> twice as good, you know, um, uh, and you're evaluated as a whole group, not just as an individual director mm-hmm. or an individual actor. You, it's, it's black people as a whole in Hollywood, black people as a whole in film or art or rap or whatever it might be. And so under that scrutiny, the pressure to not just do well or okay, but to go exceeding above and beyond what people can think. That's what happened with Black Panther, right? Um, there was so much hype and so much scrutiny and, and a lot of it positive excitement, but still it it, 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 it puts great and immense pressure on these artists. And like you said, we need to give, like, we'll know we're making progress when a Black artist can fail and it's not the end of the world. You know, somebody right. else can put something Yeah, out. and I think we did <laughs> Yeah, and I think we've even seen that even with, you know, now we're we're in that space with Ava DuVernay where she's getting the opportunity to have films that may be received extremely well and films that, you know, like Wrinkle in Time that may not have been received as well by other people, but she still gets the opportunity to do New Gods for DC. Like those are like huge moments. And I know that's a lot of comic jargon and fantasy jargon that you're like <laughs> your eyes about. You're going to have your time here in a second. But I'm just saying, I, I feel like there's there's a sense in which that's like a very special thing right, to right. see her. And, and it's Ava DuVernay, right? She only, she got, yeah, she only got there because she was wildly successful in so many other endeavors. And, you know, it's just important to realize this is like one individual who's extremely exceptional and talented in her field. But you, you'll, you'll know we're making, you know, really good progress when it can be anybody who's given a chance, allowed to fail, but still given chances to continue in that profession that field and get those kind of opportunities. Absolutely. So Jamar, I, I actually want to get into this interview because I think it's important for us to talk about 
you know, some of the things that Leslie is even mentioning here, but we also want to give you a chance to do your historical nerdery <laughs> and reflection. And to do all people that. love it. But I don't want to keep people waiting. <laughs> yes, they do. I don't want to keep people waiting too yes, much longer. Yes, yes. But this is an interview um, that I actually enjoyed. It was a very short interview, as you've come to understand when we get these major uh, artists or celebrities to come on the show. But it was a substantive conversation, it was a deep conversation. And Leslie talks about some things that I hope are, are affirming for Black women in particular and affirming for the Black community in general. So this is once again my conversation with the actor, singer, and performer, Leslie Odom Jr. Take a listen. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate Programs. Begin your Master's or Certificate Program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit. Leslie Odom Jr., thank you so much for joining us here on Pass the Mic, sir. My pleasure, truly. Thank you for having me. So you are portraying another historical figure after, of course, playing in the groundbreaking cultural phenomenon that was Hamilton. How was your preparation process for something like this? Because I'm sure it's intimidating to portray such an important historical figure. It is. I mean, the, I think the first uh, the the first step naturally is just to learn as much about the life as possible, um, to read everything, watch everything you can get your hands on. And then, you know, what I learned in the Hamilton thing, that at a certain point I started to feel bogged down with the research and that, I, you know, what I mean is I would, I would read a new thing and I was like, okay, now I gotta get, I have to figure out a way to put that in the performance. Where do I put that? Like now, it's not written in the script, but where can I put that emotion in? You know, I realized in that process that I'm not up there presenting an, a book report. You know, I'm not up there. I'm not trying to present a William Still book report. I wasn't trying to present an Aaron Burr book report. You, you know, you, you do all the research you possibly can, the research you have time for. Listen, if I had three years, I could, you know, I could find time to fill it researching, you know, but sometimes you have three weeks or three days. So you do the research that you can do. And then at the end of the day, you're looking, you're looking to your script and you are, you know, just trying to infuse that with as much, um, life and, you know, blood pumping through your veins, a heart beating in your chest. You're trying to infuse it with life and, and, you know, lust and, and passion and, you know, guts, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And, and you know, from observing you and watching you from afar, you seem like an introvert. You seem like you're also ruthlessly attentive to details. How do you give yourself grace in the midst of this? Uh, because it's interesting uh, hearing you talk about how passionate you are. Is there a space where you just say, okay, that may not have been ten out of ten, but it was good enough for this. Like, how do you how do you balance that that passion and also your own sanity? What a great question! Wow, um, have you ever asked me a question like that? I think that I'll say like I'm happiest in my life when there's balance. Um, when I find myself out of sorts, 
it is usually an indication that I'm somewhere out of balance. You know, mm. I'm not, um, I'm not, I need a vacation or I need some more time with my family or I've been away from work too long and I need to be creative again. And so, you know, it's, it's a constant striving for that, right? And I don't know if you ever like sort of achieve it and, and it just stays, you know, just stays there. Right. And that's nirvana. I don't know if you get there, but it's a constant striving for that. And so I said that to say the grace comes in, comes with balance. You know, you have to, of course, I pick myself apart. Nobody is a harsher critic for me, truly. And can't nobody say nothing to me that I haven't said to myself. <laughs> that's right. That's I, right. I am, you know what I mean? I am my harshest critic. I am. I'm no fan of myself. Um, and then, and then of course I have to, as you said, at the end of the day, I said, well, that's the best I could do with the information that I had at that moment. I will get better. Or, you know, here, I also understand when I, you know, I didn't have all the tools that I needed or I didn't have the time to, I mean, whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. but again, those things, and you fight for them the next time, you know, you fight for them because life is experiential. And so like we, unfortunately, there's some of this stuff we only go and learn from falling down. There's some of this stuff only going to learn from bumping our head. And so it's like, okay, damn, that hurt. All right. Next time. Okay. Y'all nope, because I bumped my head there before. So this time right. I'm not doing it. If I get this. That is so helpful. And that's so helpful for those of us who aren't in even these big high profile celebrity roles as yourself. Um, Kind of tying into that, I was listening to you and the lead actress, Cynthia Erivo, who's one of your good friends. I was listening to you guys talk about the spirit of mutuality and generosity that existed on set with each other. And that was powerful for me. Um, Just to hear two black practitioners talk about how they cared for each other and um, trying to make sure that they were taken care of and loving one another, even in the midst of of this very high profile filming. So how much did this movie even take on like the spiritual awareness as you were shooting these scenes? Um, you asked some good questions. I, um, I, I feel <laughs> like, you know, I, I learned in my work a while ago that um, I think it works best when and all those things are at play at once, you know, um, I kind of subscribe to the belief now if, if a role comes to me, if a project comes to me, um, that I, I called that up, you know, there's something about it that I'm supposed to learn. There's something about it that's hmm. supposed to stretch me, grow me. Um, so yes, yeah, so I think all, you know, my William and Harriet, Leslie and Cynthia, you know, that was, it, it was, you know, um, actor to actor, you know, Cynthia and I also, we went through, we went through our, that whole, like our Broadway season together. We won our, our ponies the same night. You know what I mean? Yes. We're yes. Connected. Isn't that amazing? So, wow. Yeah. So we're, you know, we're connected. And so there's something, I don't know, there's something that we're supposed to work out together, you know? And I, I look, I, I, Look forward to seeing her on set. You couldn't, you can't find a better friend. Honestly, you can't find a more loyal, more supportive friend than Cynthia Revo. And so, I, all I wanted to do was show up and and help her tell this story. You know, that was so important to her. That's so good. Yeah, that's so helpful. You also mentioned in previous talks that 
you wouldn't even be on this film if not for the determination of Cynthia and producer Deborah Martin Chase. How important are these Black women to the crafting of a film about a legendary Black woman such as Harriet Tubman? You know, there's a lot of talk right now in our society about the patriarchy. It's good talk. It's a necessary talk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but we have we have language, and we're like calling it out when we see it. And it's powerful stuff. So I I say this is this was my first experience working in what you might call a matriarchy. Matriarchy. Wow. Huh. My lead my lead producers were female. My director was a woman. My lead actress was a woman. So this, this was a, this was a female led experience about, about Harriet Tubman. And so I'm not talking wow. better or worse. I'm just talking about that's a vibe. That is a vibe. And it was, <laughs> yes. and it was, and it was wonderful. And it was, it was not the same. You know what I mean? Like, like my Hamilton experience was, that was a, that was a male driven experience. That was Lynn mm-hmm. and Tommy and Andy and Lack. Like dudes, you know what I mean, and that was wonderful yes, too. Yes. Wonderful, the energy of that was dope. But this was also really beautiful and, and completely different. So, um, I, I guess I'll say that it was it was incredible, and uh, and it's and I and I'm happy. I mean, I feel lucky to live in a time because, man, you know, please, fifty years ago, like this, it wasn't a thing. You know what I mean, like. Hmm. 20 yes. years ago, like Hollywood was like leaning on data that said, I mean, for like a black female director, like never, uh, right. uh, and like a movie starring a black female that's not like Whoopi Goldberg, like Whoopi Goldberg is starring, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. um, for, you know, for a while, it, it, just, it didn't exist. It wasn't a thing. So it's, it's wonderful to live in a time where um, we have so many people out front so many of our brothers and sisters out front that are able to do this wonderful work. Well, Leslie, I know you have to get going, but just one more question, and I think it would be remiss of me not to ask this. For Black people in America, this this moment, this story feels so timely. With daily threats to our lives, uh, the push toward freedom, it just feels ever urgent for us. What do you hope that Black audiences take away from watching Harriet? Um, I hope it's uh, just a, a constant reminder, listen, we don't tell these stories enough, man. You know, this is the, hmm. you pick up a copy of the, the narrative that William Still, William Still com- compiled, uh, he recorded these stories. Nobody made it to freedom without risking hmm. their lives, the lives of their loved ones. I mean, it, these are harrowing, impossible stories. And, you know, you pick up a copy of that book and the pride that it gives you. This, this is our legacy. This history belongs to us. The legacy of courage and perseverance and ingenuity and brilliance and skill and, and cunning. That's where we come from, you know? And so, mm-hmm. um, we can do anything, you know? And, and so it's just really just, just being reminded once again of, um, of the genius that exists, you know, right? Genius that exists within us. Well, Leslie, it has been an honor to speak with you. And I'm just going to throw this out there. 
we need to do this again. And I don't know how it's going to happen, but we need to do this again. I feel like there's a thousand more things that I want to ask you in the future. But thank you so much for your time here on Pass the Mic and, of course, your portrayal of William Still in Harriet. My pleasure, man. I look forward to the next time. Stop saying reconciliation. Reconciliation implies that diverse groups of people were at one time at a point of conciliation, but that hasn't been the case. As the people of God, we're the only humans who have experienced true reconciliation. There is no one better to enter this tension with hope and solutions. What does God say about racism? In the Bible, he addresses it, but it's not our 21st century Americanized version of racism. He gets at the core, the sin of partiality. And when we really understand that, we can learn how to embrace our kingdom ethnicity and teach others to do the same. Read Intentional by D.A. Horton as he breaks down how God addresses these issues and the practical guidance for where we go from there. Following Jesus holistically means holding intention our unique ethnic heritages while being part of a new humanity. Go to dahorton.com to learn more about his new book, Intentional. Well, we are always grateful for our sponsors. Thank you so much for making Pass the Mic what it is. And we hope that you support our sponsors as well as they are making this show possible. Jamar, Leslie Odom is deep. Wow. He's deep. Y'all got real deep, real quick. (laughs) Look, even talking about the matriarchy aspect, black women. And then at the end, you know, he says, you know, black people, we can do Mm. anything. You know, just that affirmation, that moment of encouragement. It's so special. And one of the things that I was, you know, thinking about is the reality of history and the reality that history needs to be explored. Um, It needs to be studied. It needs to be told. And I always make fun of this idea, you know, jokingly poke fun at this idea of, you know, you're the roots (laughs) guy on the on the podcast. You're the roots guy on the team. So you're always drawing us back to the old slave spirituals when they was doing the thing and you gonna tell us what songs they were singing and what shoes they wore, <laughs> what shoes they didn't wear. You know, I'm always messing with you about that because I'm like, bro, like, let's just have fun, you know, and let's get, let's get hype. Well, let's turn up the, and do the, all the that people stuff. People back in the old days, you know, we had to do this differently. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uncle culture, uncle culture. Um, exactly. Um, but man, I, I actually do want to give you space because I'm so appreciative of the work that you do. I was actually at a, a predominantly white church recently speaking on these things and I actually quoted you, and I said, y'all need to go pick up Color of Compromise. It was like a nice. thousand people in there, so I don't know. You know? <laughs> I'm giving wow. you a little plug, you know what I'm saying? A little plug, you know, build our own table and such. But, man, was it like this historically? When you think about Black women, was it like this historically for Black women, not just from an entertainment standpoint, obviously, of having their stories told, but also what were some of the unique dangers for black women as they tried to assert their own freedom? One of the things that really just blew me away as I started studying history academically is the gendered nature of racism in general and slavery in particular. So uh, historians um, talk about the, the, the double labor that women had to produce. It was the labor of their hands in the fields and, and domestically, uh, but it was also the labor of bearing children. Often they were subjected to rape by their enslavers because more children meant literally more money uh, as as um, these white enslavers would would literally enslave their own children. But women bore the brunt 
of that. And then beyond that, once these children were born, they had the 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 double, even triple labor of doing the work with their hands, but also raising their own families. And then in many cases, helping to raise the families of white people. So yes, <laughs> women yes. cared for the entire uh, uh, society in that sense. And then when it came to uh, self-emancipation, as some historians call it, or escaping to freedom, it was always riskier for women because they had children typically. And so many women chose not to escape, even if they perhaps could have through chance or ingenuity, um, because it would have meant leaving their children, or they simply couldn't escape because they were the primary caretakers of the family. And so escaping to freedom wasn't just them, it was them and all of their children who would have to come along with them. So that any women escape to freedom, that anyone escape to freedom at all is is very risky and very rare. But for women to do it was especially difficult and, and uh, had different challenges than the men faced. So the fact that Harriet Tubman not only escaped, but came back again and again and again, it's, it's incredible. Like it's mind boggling. Yeah, and, and actually, I'm really thankful that we have these dramatic presentations because they actually tell us, you know, they show us some of these horrors. They show us some of the ways in which women have to use ingenuity and we have to use different ways of approaching things. But it also shows us a, another tradition, another side of the tradition, which is the Black radical oh tradition my. and even the Black Christian yes, radical tradition. Yes. Right? And I, I know we talk about Nat Turner and we talk about you know, some of the things that relate to, to Nat Turner and his example and what he did in his slave riot and revolt. But we think about Harriet Tubman as well, and we don't think about her in that same right. space. We don't think about her in that same way. But really, they shared similar views, um, maybe not exactly the same, but there were similar perspectives on the necessity of violence at times and the necessity of physical um, force um, to free people who were enslaved. Exactly. So I, I don't think enough people think about Nat Turner or folks like Denmark VC or John Brown, an advocate and an ally. Yes. Um, really, if if your only conception of black resistance to racism is what happened during the civil rights movement, then you've only got a very small slice of the black freedom struggle uh, over the course of several centuries. Right. You just you haven't gone back far enough. And um, this this idea of, of nonviolence as a concept, as a philosophy, as a tactic, of course, popularized in the civil rights movement by folks like Martin Luther King Jr. But understand there was a diversity of views, particularly around the use of force in terms of gaining black freedom. I think that's even a more difficult or at least a more it's it's a it's a more it's a contextual question, right? So in the mid twentieth century, that question has different parameters than in the mid nineteenth century when slavery is still legal. And so when we look at Harriet Tubman, first of all, she's born around eighteen twenty. We don't know for sure because they didn't keep good records. Another way, you know, of robbing us of our identity. Exactly. But she was born in the early eighteen twenties. She died in nineteen thirteen. She was known as the Moses of her people. And I just love that because, it, first of all, it's, it's a you know a biblical story, right? Um, biblical themes, but also 
It's this theme of exodus and liberation, which is so central to the Black Christian tradition. And it was partly because of those beliefs that she did what she did. And so she not only escaped to freedom, she was a conductor on the Underground Railroad, helped to free 70 enslaved people, and never lost a quote-unquote passenger on the Underground Railroad, which is exceptional. But that wasn't it. She also served in the Civil War. She was a nurse and she was even a scout and a spy. So she would disguise herself, collect intel on the Confederates and pass it on to Union forces. And on top of that, um, she helped recruit people for John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry in uh, 1859 in Virginia, which was a violent insurrection. So she was supportive of that. And that was even before the Civil War started. And then during the Civil War, she also actually led a raid. So she was armed and she led in battle. She's an exceptional woman, but it, it, it complicates ideas of Black passivity, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Of even nonviolence, that that Black people, even Black Christians, had different attitudes toward resistance, especially in different eras. And I think for us today, we, you know, we would be, we would do well to at least consider what what lengths would we go to for freedom's sake, for justice. Yeah, sake. yeah. Even Ida B. Wells, you know, obviously very famously talked about you know, the only time that, you know, African-Americans are getting away was been when they had guns in self-defense, you know, when <laughs> they were able to use it in self-defense, how, you know, Winchester rifle should have a place of honor in every black home. You know, you've heard uh, that before. Yeah. And it's been, this mentality of, you know, there's a range in the tradition. And, you know, it also tells me when you, when you talk about Harriet Tubman and when you see this film, it also really like convicts me because they were doing mm. so much to free their people. Come on, come on, yeah. And they were they were not resting in the same way that we we rest. Like they were incredible. Like they were almost larger than life. But really, yeah. That's just the result of a life that has been completely, completely given to the liberation of a people group. That's like what, what gets would it look me. Like if our lives were completely given to that. I can't. I mean, yes, like everything for her whole life. And it wasn't just uh, freeing the enslaved. She, like I said, fought with the union and she fought for women's suffrage, women's right to vote. Um, And here's the thing. We got to mention this because it's so pertinent to us now. She was poor. Yes. She did not get financial reward or remuneration for literally risking her life for the sake, not just to quote unquote, free black people in the specific sense, but to work for justice and human rights and equality in a more universal sense. That's what she was doing. And for that, she w- died nearly penniless. You know, there's wow. there. This is thankless work. And, and for yeah. someone like Harriet Tubman, especially and as a woman, especially in this era, it's already still hard for women. Right. But as a black woman, a, a hundred years ago, it's even harder. And she did all of this. So a lot of people ask me, um, you know, why I do what I do, what motivates me, what keeps me going. I'm like, look at people like Harriet Tubman. Are you kidding me? Yeah. What I'm doing is nothing. I need to be doing much more just to live up to, just to honor the legacy that women like uh, Tubman created for us um, and the freedom yeah, and that I mean, they've I given Wells, us. Penny Lou Hamer, as you talk about all the time, I mean, these are people. black women. 
and who, the, who are really setting the standard for what it looks like to actually give your life to something yeah. from even a Christian perspective, which I think is worth noting is this is from a Christian lens. It's from a Christian, a Christocentric idea that there's diversity. There's Christocentric nonviolence and redemptive suffering that Dr. King talks about. But then there's also the self-defense and the Black radical tradition of all these other people that we're mentioning. And then there's there's all these different layers of what it means to be a Black Christian. And my, so- my, my. It, it it encourages me and it it humbles me and it convicts me that it's more than a conference, it's more than a website, it's more than a podcast. And I think sometimes we miss that in the academy and the thought leadership. All those things are important, but maybe it's like our lives, mm. our lives devoted fully to what we're doing. Mm our lives devoted fully to the freeing of our people, to the full liberation of our people as God has intended for them to be free. Right. Will cost us more than what we expect. And maybe there's more that we should do. And, you know, as preparing for this interview, watching the film, like thinking about all this, I really believe there's more to do. My, my, my. You know, beyond yes. the aesthetics, beyond the the quality of the shots or the quality of whatever is happening on film, I think there's more for us to do. There, oh. And even as even as Harriet says, you know, live free or die. Like what are we really serious about that when we say it? And it was important for me, like right after the conference, to kind of come down and think through that because it can be easily explained away that, oh, we did a conference, so now we're doing it. Or we're doing what we need to do. And mm. I know our team doesn't have that mentality and we don't have that mentality. We feel like we're not doing enough and we feel like there's so much more for us to give so for much our people. More. There's so much more for us to give for their liberation. There's so much more for us to give to see God's kingdom come to earth and the reconciling of all things. So, I mean, and I hope that encourages people. Yeah. <laughs> there's so much Challenge. to say, like we should do a whole episode on that, but I like, I, I live with that daily. Um, the struggle. I'll, I'll I'll just end with this. Like I feel daily the pressure to continue to do more for the sake of the liberation of our people, and through that, um, the liberation of everyone to the glory of God. Right. That's a high and noble calling. One in which, uh, to some degree, all of us are called to in different ways. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But also trying to remind ourselves of the grace given to us. Um, that thank God for people like Harriet Tubman and we should never squander the freedom that her sacrifices helped to earn. That's what motivates me. That's what spurs me on at the same time, also resting in the grace that um, it's, it's not by works, but by faith, right? Yes. That, yes. Um, that, that mm-hmm. we are enough in God's sight However mm. much or little we are able to achieve, you know, in the in the broader sense of liberation, do all that you can as best you can, but then yes. leave it at that. Rest, yeah. rest, yeah. rest that the work has been done on the cross, which doesn't mean we don't have things that God has called us to do, but that yeah. that we are enough. Yeah, like that's that's interesting. So this is kind of this tension point. I don't know we're like supposed to be close enough. <laughs> this is a really interesting it's a really interesting like tension point of like you know, too much is given, much is required. You know, um that whole idea of that's like a black church mentality. Big time. Like if you have much, like if you have 
this great gift, if you have these great opportunities, if you have this great intellect, if you have this great mind, if you have this great movement and work, much is required of you, right? And that's balanced out with the tension of, but it's not our works that save us. And God doesn't intend for our work to to make us unhealthy right. and to make us crash and burn, you know, with the one body that he's given to us. It's just those tension points, man. And it brought all that up. Yeah. As I was thinking about Harriet, I wanted to share that with people. And hopefully that is something that we can take with us, regardless of how we feel about the film, regardless of how we feel about the the subsequent movement and the commentary around it, that we all should have that mentality and whatever thing that we've been called to, that Christian mentality of, man, we live free or we die. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.